When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to the Lakers Legacy Podcast, where Draymond Green may have punched Jordan Poole in practice, literally, but it's the Lakers who preseason punched Jordan Poole on the basketball court, figuratively. So take that, Poole boy, because the Lakers have finally won their first preseason game since 2020, snapping a nine-game preseason streak. So hooray. Huzzah! We finally got one in the books, folks. And with Rob Palinka signed to an extension that will take him up to the 2026 season, <laughs> we're well on our way to dimensionalizing the future. Maybe? We'll see. Anyway, I'm your host, Jonathan Hernandez, and I'm joined by my co-host, Tommy Alexander. And Tommy, what do you think hurt Jordan Poole's pride more? Being punched in the face by his own teammate and having that footage leak on TMZ and all over the internet? Or losing to a LeBron-less Lakers in preseason? Gonna have to go with the uh, TMZ video, Jonathan. (laughs) No, I actually think it's being embarrassed by Matt Ryan's (laughs) 6 of 9 from 369 AO. Uh, No, I agree with you. It's probably the the sucker punch on... (laughs) Uh, in, in Warriors practice where it looked like he literally got knocked out by Draymond Green and that black eye looked quite gnarly. Anyways, Tommy, icebreaker for you. Um, what was your favorite? So obviously the Lakers won last night versus the Golden State Warriors, 124 to 121. They are now one and three on the preseason. Again, their first preseason win in like two years. Having said that, was there a play or two from last night's game that stood out to you? And we'll 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 take out the very obvious like JTA lob to Anthony Davis for the two-handed crusher in traffic because yeah, that was one of my highlights highlights for the night in general and probably a lot of people's highlights because anytime you can get those ferocious plays of explosiveness from AD, it's great because you're once again reminded of what a freak he is as a big man when he wants to be. So just seeing him tear the rim down off of such a dynamic play along with JTA in the pick and roll was great. But outside of that, was there a player two that stood out to you from last night? Two that sort of stand out to me and neither of them were like, I guess, massive plays or, or super explosive plays. But one was that, I don't know if you remember, but there was this one play where Austin Reeves was like, he was like dribbling around sort of in the mid area and he threw like a one hand whip pass, like across the court to AD, like wide open in the corner for a three. Mm-hmm. And just the way that he threw that pass, it was very like Josh Giddy esque, you know what I mean? Ooh. And like, <laughs> like, like that he seems like, you know, there was all this talk about his upper body strength and, you know, he put on the 15 pounds or whatever of muscle in the off season. And sometimes people say that and you don't really see it reflected on the court, but this guy just looks a lot stronger. And I think that pass, like 
sort of exemplified it. He always had that sort of vision, but to be able to fire it with one hand, like off the dribble, like across the court to right into the shooting pocket of a guy's, that was pretty impressive. Um, yeah. And then second is more of a general comment on Matt Ryan's off ball activity, the entire Ooh. game, really. <laughs> I mean, like, I think the one clip you posted, uh, uh, maybe on Twitter is the one that, is you know stands out to me and it's the one where he's just running loop-de-loops around the court mm-hmm. and he you know running around screens and making his guy really work um to defend him and, and and i was you know we haven't had a guy like that in a long time like to the extent we've had shooting it's always been like guys standing in the corner guys coming off of one like flare screen or one like sort of pin down screen to get an open look on one pass like a quick hitter like not a guy who's curling around and running and having his defender like chase him for you know 15 seconds around the perimeter and so like Matt Ryan had a few of those last night where he was where he did that and and hit shots and there was one in particular he hit from like the right side of the court where he like let it fly and he was already like in his trot back back on defense (laughs) before it went in and I was like damn dude for a guy who you know hadn't been getting a ton of minutes so far in the preseason I mean he wasn't even on our team for the first couple games right and or at least the first game, I believe. And, and so like for, for a guy who has been here not so long to come out and, you know, shoot with that type of confidence Mm -hmm. in a game on, you know, on the road where he's like really playing for his NBA life was, was pretty impressive for, uh, for me to see. And I really liked his interview with Mike Trudell where he was pretty much like, I got no time to lose, even with all the even with the the glitz and the lights of playing with LeBron and stuff, I got to worry about just taking these shots and making the most out of it, you know? And so, yeah, yeah it's, he's been so fun to watch. I'm think, I think you're talking about my Cooper cup comparison because this dude is yeah. literally running routes all over the court. And there's so much more to shooting than just hitting your wide open shots or curling off the screen. This dude is doing all the little, little things of setting, you know, backside screens in football. It would be, you know, pass blocking, right? Like if you are good at all those little things on top of actually being in the spots you're supposed to be, things will work out if you can actually shoot. And we, I think we've seen that from Matt Ryan, where he, even he admitted first two games, he wasn't sure why the shots weren't going in, but he just felt they were either a little bit long or a little bit short. It was easily correctable. He just had to stay the course and we saw it. We saw him break through in this game, and it was because he kind of, yeah, I mean, he just stayed true to his form and stayed true to all the little things he knows how to do off ball. This is how you get shooters like Duncan Robinson and Davis Bertans making like 80, 90 million dollars. I don't know. I think the market will correct itself in that respect, but like all of the off ball movement and the nuance and the know how to get to spaces and creases on the court and being able to shoot in tight windows. That's how those caliber of shooters are able to get those types of contracts. And not to say that Matt Ryan will reach that level, but he possesses some of those qualities. So, yeah, any Matt Ryan play was huge. For me, one of my plays was Anthony Davis getting frisky with the ball and putting it between his legs and taking Wiseman off the dribble from the three-point line, taking it all the way into the paint for the goaltended layup. Honestly, that was just a reminder of why AD is still a unicorn class of big man because James Wiseman physique wise is also a freak. But then Anthony Davis in that one play showed why he is set apart from guys like that. You know, the fluid agility on the perimeter mixed with the insane length and strength of a prototype of a prototypical big. And so it was nice to see Anthony Davis get that fluidity and agility back because you can tell when he starts getting a feel for the ball, there's just a pep in his step when he's able to dribble the ball like a wing and he has the space to do so, you know, because that's where he can really get the advantage on his man and put them on their skates because they are typically power forwards or big men who aren't used to having to guard those types of centers or power forwards. So that was one of my plays. And then another more sort of under the radar one was in the first quarter, I think the ball swung to Lonnie Walker for a three-point shot on the wing. He oh, rose yeah. up, and then last second he found a cutting JTA sprint to the basket, that and then threw nice. him a yeah he threw him a bullet pass off of his shot and got him a wide open layup. And you know, I think just that play was indicative of the ball movement buy in by a lot of the players, and also the buy in by a lot of the primary initiators on this team, of which we have a lot of to 
make a more conscientious effort if they haven't before to be better playmakers, right? Whether that's Lonnie Walker or Kendrick Nunn. And I think we're starting to see some of those things come to fruition. So yeah, all really awesome to witness. All right, before we get on with our show, um, just wanted to ask you guys to please rate interview us five stars on the Apple Podcast app. And please also tap the five-star button on the top of our Spotify page. Please help us get to 55-star ratings before the season starts. I think we only need about four more. So you get us to 50 stars, and we'll find a way to get Lakers sniper Matt Ryan to personally sign a family urn of yours. I'm not sure why you would want that, but we'll try and make it happen. So please give us five stars on Spotify. All right, Tommy, I feel like we have to get to this. We don't have to delve too deeply into this, but we definitely have to touch upon this recent semi-breaking news. But I alluded to it in the intro. But Palinka got signed to an extension that will take him up to the 2026 year. Uh, What are your thoughts on this? And I'll give my thoughts really quickly because at best, I'm neutral about it because it's very on brand for Jeannie Buss and the Lakers to do something like this. At worst, the timing makes no sense and only furthers the notion that Genie Bus and this front office is a bit tone deaf. For me, of all the times to sign Palinka to an extension, and you don't even make the optics work of making sure to do it after he makes a substantial move, after he trades Russell Westbrook and cleans up one of his biggest mistakes as a GM, and even you could have even done this after the Lakers went, got off to a hot start. You know what I mean? Um, but no, we preemptively signed him to an extension when we signed Darvin Ham for some reason. And here we are now. And even though the team is looking good, a lot of, I mean, I, this may be a little bit unfair, but I feel like a lot of the good that we're seeing, and I know he was responsible for hiring Darvin Ham, but I feel like the players constantly have to be great in spite of the limitations this front office has been has placed upon them, whether that's looking around them and seeing that there are five other guys who play their same position or LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, looking around them, playing great defensively and seeing that there are too many small bodies who can't get the defensive rebound, et cetera, et cetera, right? And so here we are with Rob Palenka having reneged on his promises of, you know, big moves to come and his promises of shooting being legitimately addressed on this roster. Although he'd probably tell you, look at Matt Ryan and shut the fuck up, bitch. <laughs> but um, in, rea- in <laughs> yeah, reality... Family podcast. <laughs> I know, sorry about that. No, but in reality, though, he has not followed through with some of his promises that, he's, that he puffed his chest out with at the beginning of the season, and yet here he is with an extension. So that's all I have to say, and I think it's just really weird timing and they really couldn't have waited to do this but anyways your thoughts the thing that is just the most alarming to me is the amount of years right it's like if they're extending him till 2026 so he got a and this was the last year of his deal so he got a three-year extension to your point with like nothing really there was no catalyst usually when something like this happens like there's a catalyst right like frank vogel won a championship and they extended him one year um, what has Rob done other than like be Jeannie's friend, you know, like he, like he did, he brought in a championship his first solo year, but every other year has been questionable at best. And he hasn't really done anything to earn this spot. It feels like, you know, I mean, it's similar to what genie ha- like what the prior regime did like there was a bus person involved jim and then they had a gm that they trusted in mitch and it just felt like that like the the commitment you know what notwithstanding what they said publicly the commitment was just those two were going to work together and it feels like genie's trying to do something similar now like i guess she originally viewed it as herself magic is like a buffer because she's familiar with magic and then rob as being like this is the front office moving forward um and it's going to be the front front office as long as i'm here uh meaning genie and so like like you said it it feels like this wasn't really merit-based and i don't know if you look back on all the rumors about why Rob has had problems with other GMs and it goes back to his agent days. And, you know, then it, it, it shoots forward to like his front office days and, 
and how people were sort of offended that with so few of these positions in the league, how could somebody like Rob Palenka, who's relatively unproven, land like the most arguably one of the most mm-hmm. coveted positions in the NBA, right? So it it doesn't help any of that stuff, and I just it feels weird to lock him up now and not even really have a plan for you know what else are we going to do in the front office? Like what else is he going to do with this roster? And to just say like, you're here for six years now, like we are now again, one of the only team, you know, or excuse me, four more years. Like we're now like one of the only teams in the league again, who doesn't have both a president of basketball operations and a general manager as like two separate people filling two separate positions. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so now it's like if we did want to do that, we have to bring someone in knowing that like there there is a clear hierarchy because Rob was here, has been here, and will be here until 2026. So it's not even like we can sort of hard reset after this year and sort of sign a Rob with a duo like, okay, you two guys are the guys for the next three years and let's see how it goes. You know, there's mm-hmm. a number of possibilities. And, and the point that it comes down to is ultimately like, what has he done to earn this? And I don't think he's done anything at at this point to earn this kind of extension. Yeah. And I think at best with regards to the championship season, Rob Palinker is maybe, I don't know, a master facilitator slash middleman. But when it comes to the intricacies of working the margins with particular players and personnel I think it's very clear at this point that this guy does not have an eye for free agent personnel and talent you know what I mean his talent evaluation is just off and then on top of that I guess the one thing you can say about him is he'll always bring in people who I guess on paper or in the past have some sort of pedigree to them and have actually proven something but it's usually done in lieu of truly thinking about the fit, right? And the ramifications of that fit. And so to have to, I mean, I'm not saying that he can't improve upon those things, but this was the year that I was kind of looking for a lot of progress. And yet, you know, it, it seems like we're still lacking in the creativity aspect of things when you look at guys like Bob Myers and even, you know, Sean Marks who deal with superstar teams, but on the margins can still fill out, you know, kind of more intuitive guys. And here we are, even though we're looking as good as we do, we still got Dennis Schroeder coming in and he's talented, you know, but (laughs) in the grand scheme of things, you're like, yeah, but we have three guys currently doing what Dennis Schroeder does. Don't you think that resource could be used elsewhere or resources could be funneled elsewhere? So that's my biggest issue. And I'm not, you know, I'm lukewarm about having to sit on this and sit with him for the next four years, but whatever, again, At best, I'm neutral on it, and I don't want to spend any more time on this topic. So let's pivot to, before we take it to break, just your general thoughts on the team as a whole this preseason before we get into like specific individual players. Because I think for me, from a macro sense, it's clear that the buy-in is there to an extent, and the want-to and activity from the guys is there. And it seems like, multiple players the gears are actually turning in their heads and on top of that it seems like they're actually executing it seems like there's more intention and purpose to every play both on offense and defense and we actually have the guys who can actually execute those things properly without just thinking about them you know their body will do as their mind says and on defense the no switching the fighting over screens the helping and helping the helper and funneling principles that Ham has instilled, I think have been great. And it's been super solid to see guys just kind of wreaking havoc all around the court, but not only thinking about just their own man, but how they can help um, their other teammates whenever they get beat or whatever. It seems like that's ingrained in everybody's minds, which is awesome to see. In transition, everybody's so much more active. They're not just running back in transition. They're trying to bat balls and like make sure they get strips and whatnot. So that's been awesome too. Um, offensively, the play calling has been miles better than what we've seen under Vogel. If For there many, are many years, actually, I know seriously. And if there are isolations that happen, um, they happen early and more by design after a switch or a clear out, and less of you know the types of isolations where 
this is all we got in our bag. So player A, just pound the ball and create on your own for 24 seconds. You know what I mean? There are now actual motions in place to help player A do that more easily if he is a typical primary initiating ISO guy. There's also a lot more opportunistic pick and rolls, especially involving Nunn and Reeves. And how, how many times have we been saying, stop trying to hide the pick and roll from people for the playoffs? We know, everybody knows what a pick and roll is. Just run it and spam it as much as you can with Anthony Davis. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and I think in general, a lot of guys who, a lot of playing to guys' strengths, I think, is a common theme that I'm seeing. And how refreshing is that, Right. Um, and everyone, for the most part, looks good in a vacuum. I guess my only issue is we still don't know how it all looks rotationally with all the guards available because, one, they haven't been all available, and then, two, we've still been in this holding pattern of resting and sitting guys, and Ham said in the last two games we'll see a more clearer picture of what the rotation will look like, but as it stands, yeah, yeah we don't know how this all looks for a full 48 minutes. Can guys hold up? Uh, being beat up down low? Can they defensive rebound? Can the shooting actually tread water when, you know, Matt Ryan isn't getting 15 to 20 minutes in a regular rotation? Um, And yeah, so those are my biggest concerns, how it'll look synergistically. And the biggest one is obviously how it'll look when Russell Westbrook is eating up at least 25 minutes in your rotation, right? Um, But yeah, for you, what's your general thought on how the team has looked? Yeah, general, I mean, like like you sort of summarized, I feel positive about it. I think there's been so many years, you know, over the last, I don't know, decade <laughs> that like we've heard a lot in media day. We've heard a lot in the off season about, oh, we're going to do this. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And then you get to it and it's like, you don't really see what everyone was talking about. You know, it's like we're the mm-hmm. Lakers and you know, you preach all this stuff, but then ultimately at the end of the day, what you see on the court is like more ego management than anything else. And this year it actually does feel like, you know, Ham came in with his principles and this pitch about what he wanted to do on both sides. And at least for now, it seems like they're doing it. I mean, to sort of like understand what they were trying to do on defense, you know, offense is like, uh, well, let's start with defense. So defense, like Ham ran Milwaukee's defense, obviously for most of the last several years, which is why, and they were like a top defensive team and they obviously had Giannis win defensive player of the year and they had a lot of success. And when you watch their like breakdown videos, right? Understanding what makes the Milwaukee defense so successful, you sort of see Ham applying those principles here and you sort of, to your point, see the wheels sort of turning and guys sort of understanding what they're supposed to do. So mm-hmm. it is like kind of cool to see like, hear about all the principles and then see it applied on the court. Like when there's a, yeah. a high screen set, you see the bit, the big drop trying to lure the guy into, you know, the mid post or to drive. And when there's a screen, instead of just switching on the screen, the guard will fight around the screen and try to contest the jump shot from the side or from behind. So like you're trying to force guys into contested long twos. And if they don't want to take the long twos, you have your big dropping ready to contest shots at the rim. Mm -hmm. And so all of this, and then like you, you get the little like sort of minor points also that come in. Like when you're coming around a screen, when the ball handler is coming around a screen and the big is dropping, you have another guard on the side sort of like digging and trying to like get a hand in or, you know, sort of disrupt the ball handler as he's making a move towards the basket. Seeing that kind of stuff has been really cool and seeing it applied like consistently has been really cool. I think the defensive energy across the board has been like super high. And so I've liked that, like at a macro level, like you said, on offense, we're just running a lot of st- a lot more stuff that just makes sense now. It's it's like when you have LeBron James and you have like Anthony Davis, there's still going to be some amount of isolation um, every once in a while. But the spacing principles are making it such that you know all of our ball handlers are able to get the ball to AD on like these pick and pops. Like our spacing has been so poor in prior years that we like literally couldn't run a simple like pick and pop play. Yeah. Like, you know, it's like the ball would get disrupted just making a simple pass, like out of a pick and roll. And it felt like every other team in the league could do that. But now we have guys who understand like on the fast break where they're supposed to go and, you know, in general where they're supposed to line up and like, as the ball handler moves around the court, everybody sort of knows where they're supposed to rotate to Mm -hmm. like in the open space on offense. And it keeps the spacing like looking very nice. And that's even, you know, 
that's even despite the fact that we have no shooting on this team. So uh, overall, I've really, really been encouraged with what I've seen on this, on both sides. I think this team could actually be better than I was projecting um, in this, like earlier in the summer. I just think that there are a few very glaring holes that are going to, you know, create problems when you're talking about how we sort of stack up against the more elite teams in the West. Mm -hmm. But if we could, you know, sort of keep ourselves in the top six conversation and then maybe swing a trade. I mean, after the top two, I think it's going to be pretty tight in the West this year. So we'll be right there in the conversation. If, if um, guys continue to buy into what ham is selling and then hopefully, you know, you just sort of pray that we can get a little more roster balance in the future. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, in terms of the defensive end, I described it to Alan as it almost seems like we're playing like a moving zone on guys in the sense that every ball handler is almost being defended by three guys. One, the primary yeah. defender, and then two ghost defenders in the periphery. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's so nice yeah. to see that because everybody is so engaged. It's not just about sticking to your man. It's about what can I do to help the other guys? You know what I mean? Yeah. And that keeps everyone, again, I hate to keep saying the word, engaged. And that's the biggest part of defense, right? Um, and then my, my last additional two points were no Russ makes sense on this roster and swinging a trade makes so much sense. So to your points, to your end points there for sure. Uh, and we'll get into that uh, towards the end of our show, talking about whether we should revisit an Indiana trade proposal. But first, we'll take it to break. And when we return, we'll get to some individual player standouts and also, again, talk about you know what to do about the rotations and whether a trade can help um, alleviate all of the current muck and mess. So we will catch you guys after the turn. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org. All right, so we are back. Uh, Tommy, let's talk about individual players, and I feel like we should start with Mr. Anthony Davis. He had 28 points, three assists, three rebounds, one block, two of four from three, eight of eight from the free throw line. My God, is that refreshing. Um, In only 21 minutes, I believe in the first game, he had a double-double in very limited minutes as well. Uh, the, The lower back stuff is obviously a concern, but when he's out there playing... Gosh, he looks so dominant. He looks so fluid. He looks aggressive. The shot seems to be back. Darvin Ham is putting him in situations where he's bringing the ball up the court or he's getting the ball in movement. He's not just doing the Carmelo Anthony step back or the Carmelo Anthony face up. But Anthony Davis is getting a feel for the ball, getting that momentum rolling. He's got the pep in his step. And when he does that, then all of that ferocious unicorn aggressive big man stuff comes out where he can just hammer jam it over like two people in the paint. You know what I mean? And then on the defensive end, it seems like he's got that that verve back when it comes to blocking shots and containing the perimeter. And uh, it's just been nice to be reminded of all that. What do you think? Yeah, it is nice to be reminded of it. It is nice to see that his jump shot seems to be back to 2019, 2020 levels, it was so bad the last two years. Right. And I was sort of like, you know, it was easy to mock his statements about how like he hurt his wrist and that's why his shot sucked last year because it wasn't great the year before. And it also was, was, wasn't great before his, you know, his wrist injury, which we saw the wrist injury happen in that Philadelphia game last year, but it wasn't good before that. It wasn't good after that. It wasn't good the prior year. So it hasn't been good for a while. And to see him, like, step into these threes with confidence, his shot, like, his form looks a little different. I don't know if you noticed that. Maybe it's just my imagination. Mm. But it seems like he's starting the shot, like, closer to his chest instead Mm. of, like, just exclusively shooting it over his head. And I think, like, that's whatever he's done to tweak that, it it looks a lot more fluid when he shoots it to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And when he's missing, he's not, like... I mean, when he was missing his jumpers last year, they were like bricks, you know, it like never, like when he would shoot a jumper, you'd be surprised if it went in like last year. Right. So it, it just like, now you're sort of expecting it to go in. Cause even when he misses he's like pretty close. Um, 
So for him, again, as always, the key is going to be health. The back stuff is a little discouraged. I know everyone's like, well, it's not a big deal. Like all the spectrum guys are like trying to overcompensate for it because it's like every, they know everyone's freaked out, but it is what it is. I mean, he, he, they can say, oh, the back isn't a big deal. It's just a little tight. He, he looks to me like he has been running a little bit stiff out there and I Mm -hmm. assume it's because of the back, but, um, if it's not because of the back, maybe that's just my imagination, but you know, it's like, he just needs to figure out a way to like get healthy and like, what is something he can play through? What is something he can't play through? Like figure out those thresholds and, and he like, if this, if this team is going to work at all, it requires him being on the court because we are super, super thin in the front court, um, behind him. Uh, so yeah, yeah. uh, encouraging, but you know, I'll, I'll stay cautiously optimistic until we see he can maintain his health. And that last point that you just made is why I feel like we should swing another trade for another yeah. big man to help alleviate those things. Because you're right. I said he looked fluid, but it's almost like he looked fluid once he got the ball and the adrenaline got pumping in his veins. And so he looked yeah. fluid once he started dribbling. But you're right. Off ball when he has to run up and down the court he was sort of loafing a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, So hopefully they can find a way to uh, mitigate that throughout the season. But yeah, uh, getting another starter level competent big man would help. Um, Let's move on to Lonnie Walker because, you know, we've given this guy a lot of flack, not the guy in particular, but the move and the resource allocation um, of him being our main mid-level exception guy. And the concern still exists with regards to the glut of guards we have, but if he's going to play this way, then he's definitely worth that $6 million because, I mean, we got kind of like the full Lonnie Walker experience these first two games he's played in the sense that the first game, he was like one of seven from three, kind of hot and cold. And then the second game is when he really got hot and, you know, he hit three of six from three. Um, But I think the two things that have stood out to me with Lonnie Walker uh, would be his defense. <laughs> um, he's just been so impressive defensively, uh, not just in terms of counting stats, but being able to stick with his man. And to your point earlier about guys saying stuff and then not delivering, I feel like Lonnie Walker has actually delivered on his statement about I'm here to bring the defense and I'm here to work on the defensive end of things and really explore that part of my game that hasn't yet really um, sort of burst to the surface and obviously with his physical gifts and his athleticism you're starting to see I mean he can do this if he wants to you know he's like fighting over screens he's really shuffling his feet there was that one play where he stayed with Moses Moody the entire way to contest like a layup in the paint and Moses Moody missed it you know um so defensively it's been great to see and then um offensively Obviously, his bipolar three-point shooting has been as advertised, but at least we know he can get hot. And I think his on-ball dribble creation um, has been pretty impressive these last two games. And overall, he kind of looks like a less efficient, like second version of none out there (laughs) with more defensive pop. Um, But outside of those things, offensively, his playmaking is also what stood out. I think he had like four assists last night and just one turnover. Um, and then he had three assists, uh, his first game. So, um, yeah, I've been pretty impressed with Lonnie Walker. What about you? I've been pretty impressed too. I mean, I, <clears throat> I had read all the stuff, right. All the advanced analytics about how horrific he was defensively. And maybe he is, maybe he isn't good, but at least with the, you know, I guess we need to wait and see the numbers, but at least with the eye test, like he seems okay. You know what I mean? And I, that was the part I was like the most concerned about because we have a lot of these guys offensively who are going to be up and down um, and inconsistent. We just don't, it seems like we focused more on defense for the off season, which is fine. I think on a LeBron and AD team, but you know, I was concerned more about Lonnie's ability to stay in front of his man and be a help defender and not get lost off ball. And it seems like he's at least, sort of buying into that stuff so far. And he's made comments to the effect of, you know, he's always been an explosive player offensively, but he wants to, you know, make sure he utilizes that defensively. I'm sure he is realizing now that that's probably the reason that he's like a relatively young first round pick who has not gotten like the big extension that some of his peers have gotten because he hasn't been consistent enough defensively. Um, So I've definitely liked what I've seen. Um, 
waiting to see whether, you know, the three-point shooting is going to look more like it did last night or more like it did in his first preseason game and whether it's going to be something in between, right? So that's mm-hmm. the thing. Is it going to – if 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 you're consistently 37% or whatever, to me, that's so much better than being, you know, one game you hit um, – five for eight and then the next game and then you have three games in a row where you're like one for five, you know? So yeah, I, I don't know which type of player he is. Most guys tend to be like most guys who aren't stars tend to be a little more streaky in that way. So yeah, we'll have to see. But I mean, like you said, I, you sort of see what they were looking, looking at when they made that signing and you just wish that it didn't really make it, it made a little bit more sense in, in our roster, but I kind of like the upside play. You know, he's a young yeah. guy. He's, he's, um, you know, with the THT trade, especially, I mean, obviously they didn't necessarily know they were going to trade THT, but you swap out THT, you swap in another, you know, 23 year old guy who's six, four with long arms and has some sort of, you know, explosive potential on both sides. And you sort of roll the dice and see how that works. And I think for one year, you can make a strong argument that rolling the dice on Lonnie is is uh, going to have a higher potential return than rolling the dice on THT, who you sort of already know what kind of player he is. So I've been impressed so far. And like you said you know, earlier, I think we're waiting to see what the real full rotation looks like to see where these guys get minutes because Lonnie's look good, but so has Reeves, so has mm-hmm. none. You know, Reeves and none, honestly, have been like two of our best players. Um Toscano Anderson's look good. Um, you know, we haven't even seen Troy, Troy Brown Jr. yet. We obviously have to play Russ. We obviously have to play Pat Bev. Schroeder hasn't even played yet. So it's like <laughs> you go through these, like, guards, and it's like, uh, you know, Lonnie looks solid, but where does he fit? I don't really know yet. Yeah, and at the end of the day, he has that sort of, you mentioned his explosiveness, but he's got that dynamic showtime verve that can really help drum up momentum in the middle of runs in a game and you saw it in the first game where he like did that crazy you know behind the back dribble move into the lane and then switched hands uh for the layup and that got LeBron James really excited and Lonnie Walker is capable of those ridiculous feats of athleticism and you know twisty turny like switching hands layups and all that stuff outside of the the amazing aerial feats dunking wise so yeah, we'll just have to see how it all looks like when he's only getting, you know, 15 minutes or so. Um, let's move on to the more fully realized offensive version of him in Kendrick Nunn, who has quite frankly been amazing on all levels. Isaiah Thomas-esque in Isaiah Thomas's prime with the Boston Celtics. I won't go as far as to say he's an MVP candidate, but at least for preseason, he's an MVP candidate for the Lakers. He can get to whatever spot he wants to. He's navigating through ball screens with so much ease. He is a true three-level scorer. And just to remind everybody, the last time he played a full season with the Miami Heat, he was a 48%, 38%, 93% shooting split sort of guy. That's That's almost the coveted 50-40-90 from field goal, three-point land, and the line. And on top of that, his playmaking has been a primary focus for him, and we've seen the improvements on that end so far. I think he had seven assists last night, right? He had yeah. seven assists and only uh, he had three, three turnovers, turns. but I mean, that's a huge improvement from the five turnovers he had the first game, but it's clear he's looking for his teammates as well. And honestly, he can do whatever he wants to do on the court. He can pull up whenever he wants to. He is just so slithery and smooth and you can run him through pick and rolls. You can let him break his man off the dribble uh, on his own. Um, he rejected the screen on one play with Wenyan Gabriel and just calmly pulled up for the mid range J. I'm not sure what this guy can't do at this point, and I'm going to pump the brakes on uh, everything I'm about to say, but just so far, what a pleasant surprise and a sight for sore eyes given the last year that he's had. So your thoughts on Kendrick Nunn? Uh, yeah, I thought, he've, I thought he's looked really good too. I think the thing that's interesting about him is he probably, we shouldn't have been able to get him last year either. Right. It's just that if anyone, if everyone remembers like his sort of weird situation with Miami, where I think they had his, they have like a, the ability to make him a qualifying offer or something. And, and um, they sort of held him and held him and he sat for like a week or so after everyone had like spent their money and then Miami sort of renounced him. It was in a way similar to the Lonnie Walker situation, but even pushed out further. So by the Malik time, Monk Kend- too, kind of. 
kind of. Yeah, yeah. So it's like by the time, you know, that it came time for him to be a free agent, there weren't that many teams that had space. And we sort of had the in because of the clutch thing, right? So I think this was always viewed as like a let Kendrick come in and have a dominant year last year, and then he can opt out and go get a bigger contract because he is a much, much better player than you know, this mini mid-level that we got him for last year. And you're sort of mm-hmm. seeing it. And the thing that's been by far the most impressive to me has been the um, fact that he's been able to do this coming off the bench, coming, you know, being a starter and coming off the bench, playing with LeBron, playing without LeBron, playing with AD, playing mm-hmm. without AD. Like, it doesn't matter the context. You put him on the floor, he's been a productive player on both sides. I, like, I knew he was going to be a nice player for us offensively. I guess I sort of underestimated how good of a defensive player he is. He, you don't really lose that much when you put him out on the court um, defensively. Uh, you know, he fights all around the screens just like everybody else. He's pretty good at staying in front of his man. He's really, really strong and tough as a def- on the defensive side of the ball. And I, yeah, I, I just I, I can't say enough good things. I so, you sort of see why maybe I'm not saying this was a factor, but like. Maybe if you're the front office, you're not as concerned about losing Malik Monk in free agency because, you know, you have a guy like Kendrick Nunn who's getting ready to come in and frankly is pro like, you know, put the, putting the three point shooting and maybe overall explosive sc- scoring aside um, or burst scoring aside, like overall a better player than Malik Monk um, coming back into your lineup for not, not for free, but like, you know, you didn't have to use any cap space on him this summer. So. Well, I was actually going to say, I thought you were going to talk about Caruso because I think this was their logic initially, you know, because they they ended up actually offering Malik Monk a contract and then replacing Malik Monk with a similar sort of player in Lonnie Walker. But I think to your point, Kendrick Nunn and his emergence is why they were confident whether it's, I mean, it was the wrong move to do so anyways, but keep putting that aside if we're looking at their logic it was always because if, I mean, the the narrative would be so much different, right? Last year, if Kendrick Nunn was doing what he's doing now at the start of last season, and I guess the, the blow would have been lessened in losing Caruso. Not to say again that that was the right move. They should have retained Caruso for sure. But in their eyes, they're like, okay, we're going to save a lot of money and luxury tax and get a cheaper player who can do offensively a lot more than what Car- uh, Caruso can do, right? Um so overall, to your point, it's just about, yeah, this guy, in summary, this guy is really good. And this is why, you know, we invested the resources that we did into him and maybe let go of other things or other players in, in lieu of him. Um, but with that said, let's move on to his backcourt mate, Austin Reeves, um, put in the jukes on Steph Curry last night with that turnaround head <laughs> straight to the basket. I mean, dude, this guy... This guy is so energetic and feisty on both ends yeah. of the ball. I'm not sure He's where just a good he gets. Player, dude. I, I'm not sure where he gets the. I'm a little concerned because he really puts his body on the line, and now that he's bulked up, he does so even more. Um, yeah. But uh, so I, I, I told I, I told Alan about this comp, and the shooting is definitely not there yet. And maybe it's more shades of how he plays and how he his shooting form looks like. But when you watch him. Shorter Mike Dunleavy Jr. Um, Mike Dunleavy did a lot of stuff on ball as well, even though he was mainly known as a shooter. But the way that they move is sort of similar. Um, and they are both white, I guess. Uh, but no. Uh, <laughs> but in terms of, I, I feel like Austin Reeves is really relishing creating off the dribble because this is what he did in college. And the way he's been putting guys in jail and then rising up for these seemingly awkward mid-range J's and floaters that he's also somehow hitting is insane. Um, The way he's able to absorb contact now and take shots on the move, moving sideways in the air and it it not bothering him. Again, it's very Manu-esque, right? Manu Ginobili-esque. That pass you talked about to Anthony Davis, Ginobili-esque. and yeah, he's doing it on both ends of the court. That game he had where he put up like, it was almost like a Caruso-esque stat line. The one in Minnesota where he had like six points, eight rebounds, three assists, like one block. And um, yeah, he's been he's been overall very impressive and literally putting, um, yeah, he's filling up the box score with every stat. And so what are your thoughts on how Austin Reeves has sort of progressed this year? 
I've been super impressed. We've seen this many times, right? Over, especially over our rebuilding years, where a guy unexpectedly, you know, second round pick, undrafted type of guy, will unexpectedly get minutes in his first year and play really well, or first year, second year, play really well, and then you're sort of anticipating that's that trajectory and that upward growth and projecting him, you know, out into the future. And then like one season, next season comes, ah, he looks sort of the same. And then the next season comes, ah, he looks the same or even worse. You know what I mean? And Austin Reeves, it feels like has taken what he did last year, which was already like very impressive. And is really taking a leap forward on both, on both ends. He was a solid defender last year. Looks even better this year because he doesn't get knocked off balance nearly as much. He's able to stay in front of his guys, you know, take contacts and keep his hips and, you know, everything like his legs grounded, his hips in the right position. He, he just is getting like knocked off balance on both ends a lot less. Um, to your point on the offense, if you look at his highlights from college he is literally doing the stuff that he was doing, you know, like mm-hmm. at Oklahoma right now. And he's able to do that because he got stronger. So like you said, he's, he has a knack for being able to put guys in jail, take the contact and then just like somehow hit these absurd, like looking shots and they almost look lucky, but like he does it so frequently that it's like, Hey, there's some skill going on here. You know what yeah. I mean? And then same thing on uh, the defensive side, you sort of see him buying into this system that we were talking about that Darvin Ham has of, fighting over the screens and then contesting from the side or from behind to sort of deter these shooters. He's really gotten a knack for it already. He hasn't been fouling a ton. Like you're sort of seeing other young players, like not to call out Max Christie because he's a 19 year old rookie, but when Max Christie fights around a screen and tries to contest the shooter, you've, he's fouled multiple jump shooters already in the preseason Mm -hmm. because he lands in their zone or he hits them on the arm or whatever. But Austin, to be able to fight around guys and then like contest and get out of the way, I mean, that's like a nice skill. And so if he can get some confidence in his three-point shot, because I feel like, you know, kind of like you said, it's not really there yet. um, I, I just feel like there's no limit to the type of impact this guy could have this year. This is like why I was so disgusted at any sort of thought that he could just be a throw in to a rust package to like, you know, sweeten the deal and save us a pick in the future. It's like, you honestly, you don't know what that first rounder is going to be like. Austin Reeves is playing like a first round draft pick right now and you have him, right? So you, you got to keep guys like this and, and um, yeah, I've just been, I've been really impressed overall. Yeah, it's just too bad we didn't give him that cheap three-year deal that most GMs do for their second-round picks just to make sure that they can retain them for longer because we will have to make a financial decision on Austin Reeves starting this summer. Thank God his cap hold is only $2 million, but otherwise, who knows what this guy makes, (laughs) you know, even though we can retain him, you know. Um, Yeah, so I guess the only other player that I wanted to talk about is sort of in conjunction with what we've seen from Cole Swider and the team's very apparent need for consistent shooting. And obviously Cole Swider has been far from consistent apart from the first game. And you can tell that he's really pressing. And I think in comparison to Matt Ryan, you kind of see where that year's worth of experience in the G League and the NBA in general has just pushed Matt, Matt Ryan to kind of a more intangible place where, yeah, he's just more mature um, than Cole Swider right now. Outside of the fact that, I mentioned this before, but Cole Swider is more of the perfect set shooter, kind of like Jason Capono, and he can still hit sh- shots in guys' grill grills. He's also a really good route runner, as I mentioned, but Matt Ryan's trigger release is so fast. It's Kyle Korver-esque, and his legs could be flailing every which way. It does not matter. I mean, you saw that play where Max Christie gave him a really poor pass on the baseline. He even bobbled the ball, and he had to hop step to the left. Didn't matter. He launched that thing, you know, like Steph Curry, and it splashed in. And I think, I mean, at this point, my question is, do you think Matt Ryan makes the roster at the very least they try and find a way to um, shoehorn him into that two-way spot of uh, Scotty Pippins or at the very least if he gets a roster spot and I mentioned this on Twitter there's a way you can still maintain flexibility if you want to and it's by giving him a non-guaranteed contract and as the season progresses if there is another move you need to make or someone becomes available via buyout at least you have Wenyan Gabriel and 
um, Matt Ryan on those non-guaranteed contracts and you can make that tough decision then. Um, but yeah, what are your yeah. thoughts on like Matt Ryan getting some sort of deal here? I think they need to try to press this. And he, by the way, he should accept this, what I'm about to say, because he was floating, you know, unemployed like a week ago. So, but I would personally, I think I've seen enough, like, okay, maybe give it another game, two games, whatever. But even when he wasn't hitting shots, I feel like I've seen enough to just give this mm -hmm. guy the 15th spot, like, on a non-guaranteed deal. Okay, give yourself the flexibility to waive him at any point, but keep that, keep keep him in, on your team because this is a guy who can, can actually contribute. When you're looking at the two-way spots, like, I think Cole Swider and Scottie Pippen, I sort of understand what they were, you know, what they were going for with respect to both of those guys, right? And you sort of, it sort of makes sense to keep them in the two-way spots. Cole Swider needs development time. He's a solid shooter. I have no doubt he will be a solid shooter. He has good size. It's hard to find that kind of elite shooting at that size. And maybe there's a spot for him in the league one day, but he needs development time and he'll get that with the G League team. Scottie Pippen Jr., like, although we have a glut of guards, this guy, like, looks like an NBA player. And you sort of understand why they were so quick to give him that second spot because it's rare that you get a chance to get a real NBA play type player undrafted. Like, it seems like kind of a sure thing. I mean, Scottie Pippen is going to have a spot in this league one day. So mm -hmm. maybe you keep those guys in your two-way spots. Um, Jay Huff, not like a huge need, I guess, on this roster as it's currently constructed. And he, frankly, hasn't looked great um, in minutes against real NBA players still. Um, so maybe you can get away with keeping him in your uh, – you know, in your G league system. But I think Matt Ryan can play when he wasn't hitting shots his first couple of games. Like he, it's still like he, you could see him working off the ball. You could see him getting to spots that, you know, releasing and coming up really, really close on really contested shots. It's like LeBron teams historically until he came to the Lakers have always had these like, Oh no type shooters where it doesn't matter how you hit them. If you hit them and they're, remotely have one inch of daylight, the ball's going to fly and they have a decent chance of making it. And we're the only team he's ever been on that hasn't been able to get him that type of shooting. We literally tried to do the same thing that has happened to him in the past by signing him J.R. Smith um, when mm -hmm. we were making the championship yeah. run, right? Or like signing guns like uh, Ben McLemore, right? We were like trying to find those guys for him. And I feel like we have that type of guy for him right now. And Matt Ryan, um, he is pretty one-dimensional in terms of what he wants to do. Uh, he obviously wants to shoot. We haven't seen him do a ton. Like, for example, his best game of the preseason was obviously against the Warriors. Uh, yeah, against the Warriors. And he took nine shots, and they were all threes. So mm -hmm. he has the one. He's very, very specialized. We don't know what he's going to be able to give defensively. Probably not a whole lot. But in certain lineups... And against certain lineups, if you're playing against, you know, guards that maybe or forwards that are not going to be big shooting threats and you can hide him a little bit defensively, um, this is a guy that is going to carry through, carry you, can potentially help carry you through like the middle innings of a game, I guess, if you want to call it that. You know, you're going to start out with your big three, you're going to close games with some form of LeBron and AD. But you still need those types of guys. And this is like, for example, why Kendrick Nunn is so valuable. Like you need those mm -hmm. types of guys to play the middle innings and sort of carry you through the middle of the game so that your stars have enough left in the tank to to close it out. And we need more of these types of explosive shooters. And I just, to me, it feels like a no-brainer. Like we've seen what he can do within our system right now. Um there are no obvious shooters out there on the market still. Give him a non-guaranteed deal and see how it goes. And, you know, we still... I don't know if when Wenyan's deal becomes fully guaranteed or what, but, you know, we still have uh, Wenyan on the partial guarantee. We still have, um, you know, if we have Matt Ryan on the non-guarantee, like, if somebody becomes available, you just wave one of these guys and you, if you think that other person could help you more. But for right now, I, I don't think you can let somebody like this walk away and... Maybe this feels like overreactionary or whatever based on the game that we saw. But like I said, even in the games that he wasn't hitting the shots, like this is the type of player we need. And to some to some degree, you can't really teach this. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like we've had, like I said, we've had shooters the last few years and Wayne Ellington and, you know, guys that have come in and have been historically like career really elite shooters. 
but you can't teach like this type of guy who's going to run around the court for, you know, and not get tired for 20 minutes. And by the way, burn out whoever's defending him, trying to chase him around while he flings these threes at a really high clip. Like it, it's just like certain instincts that he has that we don't have otherwise on the roster that I think we need to, um, we, we, we got to keep this guy around. Yeah. I mean, irrespective of what everyone else is doing out on the court, he has honed his craft to a T. You know what I mean? And that's yeah. why I bring up the Cooper Cup thing, because just like Cooper Cup, everyone on the Chargers, especially Matt Stafford, knows where Cooper Cup is at all times. And just like every one of the Lakers, like whatever, if there's an isolation going on, whatever, that's fine. But you can bet that that player with the ball knows exactly, is tracking wherever Matt Ryan is around the court. You know what I mean? Because they know at the end of the day, whether the play is specifically designed for Matt Ryan or not, they'll have to find him if a play breaks down or the defense closes in because he is their best safety valve. And he is doing this currently without having played with LeBron James and Anthony Davis, you know, without actual gravity. And what he's shown us in these three games, even when he was missing shots, is a guy who is shoot or shoot and Matt Ryan has shot the ball. He has been unfazed um, and relentless in taking that shot. And yeah, he just does all the little things well right now off the ball and even, um, yeah, getting to his spots, setting screens, flaring out, et cetera, et cetera. And those are things that Cole Swider will have to learn how to do better to, you know, really become like an elite shooter. And I think um, Matt Ryan right now is on his way to that. And I'm very interested in seeing how he plays, obviously, with the stars. So, yeah, I agree with you. Keep Matt Ryan at all costs. With that said, to close this episode with like the last two or three minutes or so, Tommy, tell me why. And I guess you can bake into your answer here how sort of meandering, I don't want to say underwhelming because they've shown some flashes here and there, but maybe how meandering the bigs have been outside of Anthony Davis and Wenyon Gabriel. And I'm talking mainly about Damian Jones and Thomas Bryant. Although again, they have shown flashes. Damian Jones on the defensive end and fitting perfectly into what Darvin Ham wants to do schematically. And then Thomas Bryant recently um, getting more of a pep in his step and showing that motor and energy and being able to finish around the the paint. Um, But I guess in relation to how underwhelming they've been in a sense. Talk to me about why we potentially really should go all in in swinging another trade, specifically, potentially, the Indiana Pacers trade, of which we found out, hey, the Lakers could possibly get this done if they actually just offer both first, and they were, like, inches away from getting this done. They just backed away at the last moment, to which, at this point, I'm like, if you're that close, what the heck is the point? If you've thought about it that much... And now you're seeing this team actually sort of show some flashes in these compartmentalized settings. Dude, what further proof do you need while still just sort of maintaining the early season period of being able to drum up continuity and chemistry? You know what I mean? So take it from here. Yeah, the bigs have been underwhelming. I think I was like, I think part of the problem, right, is that we tend to use them you know, not like besides the last game, we tend to use them in weird lineups where they're playing with another big in Anthony Davis, or we've even used them with each other. And these guys aren't probably used to doing that, especially in like today's like modern NBA. Like I imagine most of the success Damian Jones had last year with the Kings, he was not playing with Sabonis. Um, Mm -hmm. He was playing, you know, back up to Sabonis or whatever. And with a floor spacing four, it, it, I don't know what's going on with these guys. Like, I think the one that I've been a little bit more disappointed in is is Damian for sure because he showed the ability to hit threes with the Kings. He showed the ability to, you know, sort of make an impact offensively as a lob threat and, you know, not really make stupid mistakes. Or I don't know if it's something about the pressure of playing with LeBron or being back on the Lakers or what, but he sort of seems like he's regressing a little bit, you know, back to what he originally showed with us when we signed him to those like 10 day contracts back in the day. So mm-hmm. you sort of hope that he can get better. I think like, you know, defensively he's looked okay, but like he fouls a lot. Um, and he is sometimes still like out of position and trying to figure out what to do. He, I feel like he's like, he goes for like the big time SWAT blocks a lot of the time rather than focusing on, 
just sort of maintaining good position and just keeping his hands up. He mm-hmm. has a tendency to like swipe down trying to get like the highlight reel type blocks, um, which he sort of became known for, I guess, like in the last year or so. So I I think like all of this is like, right, just another reason to swing a rust trade. Like you said, if you can get a st- NBA starting count, like putting aside whether you think Miles Turner is worth like a 20 plus million dollar extension per year, like you have him even just for one year. He is a starting caliber NBA center who has shown consistently over his career on much higher volume and <clears throat> sample size than Thomas Bryant or Jones that he can hit a three at like a solid clip for a big man. He's an elite defender at the rim, and he is much more in line with what you know Ham had with Brooke Lopez and guys like that than mm-hmm. either Thomas Bryant or Jones. I think Ham made some comments. You know, Ham is trying to constantly like mirror these guys to what he had and what he had to work with with Milwaukee, but and we've seen him do it with like the Russ and Drew Holiday comp, which is a little silly. But another one he's done it with is like. He has said things like, you know, oh, like no offense to Robin Lopez, but if I can get him to hit threes, like I'm sure I can do the same for Damian Jones. And I don't know that that's true. You know what I mean? Damian Jones hit some threes last year playing for a team that was not even close to contending for a playoff spot in meaningless games, um, playing free, playing for a contract, and in a very small sample size, hit a good clip. We don't know that that means that he can hit a good clip over the course of an 82-game season. Um and, you know, like these guys on Billy Mack and Stu on Spectrum are constantly like, yeah, that's not what the Lakers want him to do this year every time he takes a jump shot. And I'm like, <laughs> actually, that is kind of what they want yeah. him to do this year. So, like, if he can't do it at all, like, I'm not saying he needs to shoot a high volume, but if he can't if he can't hit a shot at all, it kind of makes it all pointless, you know? So it it just feels like, again, more of a reason to balance out the roster by swapping out one guy for two guys who can – step in and just immediately fill positions of need. I mean, here we are salivating over Matt Ryan. Can you imagine what Buddy Heald would look like in this offense? You know, mm-hmm. Buddy Heald, who has, like, had seasons where he was a 20-point-per-game scorer and could score from all levels. And, like, yeah, people are, like, so focused on, like, his defense. But, like, as a chase defender, like, not a point-of-attack defender, which we wouldn't need him to be, he's actually, like, not that bad, you know? he and, Well, in and, this scheme, it will work, too, because he yeah. just needs to funnel correctly. So. He just needs to funnel correctly to the to the rim, and you know he won't be he can't be hunted as much, I think, as he has been in, in years past. And and by the way, even if he is, we're we're concerned about these middle innings, like I keep talking about, right? Like we know that LeBron and AD are going to be in the closing lineup, plus probably Pat Bev for his defense. So like, and Austin Reeves has looked amazing, and we have Toscano Anderson who's looked solid, like. We have guys who we can throw out as defensive closers um, who are not going to make as many mistakes, but Buddy is a guy who can fill the middle innings. Miles Turner is a guy who could fill the middle innings. And especially, you know, when you look at here we are like four games into the preseason and AD has had back tightness the entire time. Like Miles Turner is a guy who is going to help preserve AD and frankly LeBron over the course of a season because it forces LeBron to like play power forward less if you have more depth in the front court. So I I just think that we need to really look at this because these, you know, you can't just say like, I think there was a long argument that like, well, we have like miles is, is good, but how much better is he really than these centers that we signed in the, in the off season? We're seeing the answer now. He's a lot better than the centers we signed in the off season. And, you know, we can continue to hope for growth from these guys and that's fine. But why not? Like, if you're not going to have wing depth, have depth in the front court and play bigger and play AD more at the four, and you can do that by playing Miles Turner at the five. Yeah, you know, a true floor spacing big. And then on top of that, you're seeing the flashes and the vision from everywhere else. Why wouldn't you take advantage of that to its fullest extent, right? Versus just saying, "Ah, oh, well, it's working, right? So let's just keep Russ." It's like, no, but that's the difference between making it work in the meantime versus really taking it by the reins and trying to actually aggressively pursue championship contention, which is what Rob always is talking about. So yes, you may be foregoing the chance at Damian Lillard or Bradley Beal or whatever, but what you're gaining is with what we've seen from these guys so far and the guard play, you have to support that properly with 
with the vision that you actually had when you signed Thomas Bryant and Damian Jones, who, yes, they may progress and we should probably give it time. And the one thing I'll add is, you know, if Damian Jones can't shoot right now, what does that say about Thomas Bryant, who that's supposed to be his MO, you know? I don't mind if Damon Jones isn't hitting his shots right now because he never was that type of player. He's still coming into his own in that respect. But Thomas Bryant, that's literally what you're supposed to do as a spacing big. And so far, he hasn't been able to hit threes or even mid-range jump shots. You know, he's been getting most of his stuff from diving into the paint and getting, you know, these easy buckets and lay-ins and stuff. And that's all well and good. But your primary purpose of how this is all going to work is to help space it for AD. And if that's not going to happen... I don't think we can wait around that much longer because I think in I think these guys are kind of in over their heads. And again, it's just preseason. I think if we give it time, just like Damian Jones had a lot of time in Sacramento, things will come around. But I don't think we have that time. And I think if you slot these guys in better positions to not have the pressure of being, quote unquote, the starting center next to Anthony Davis to help preserve him, I think we'll be much better off <laughs> in the long run, short run, short run and long run. So Hopefully we, we revisit that trade sometime soon and some sort of middle ground can be achieved because it would be such a shame to waste the positive glimmers that we've seen thus far from this team um, and continue to try and, again, fit a round peg into a square hole and in some senses fit five round pegs into one square hole because of all the guards we have. You know what I mean? Um but yeah, with that said, there's a lot of good things that are happening, and I'm excited to see what the more complete rotation looks like with many of the big rotation names playing in the last two preseason games. This will probably do it for our preseason coverage. The next time you'll hear us will be after an actual NBA game on opening week, so that should be exciting. But yeah, with that said, again, please follow us on Twitter at Lakers Legacy Pod. Please also rate and review us five stars on the Apple Podcasts, and particularly and particularly Spotify because we are trying to get 55 stars before the season starts. So any contribution towards that end would be greatly appreciated. And with that said, Tommy, I will catch you later when the regular season starts. See ya. Peace. Laters. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.